Okay, why don't we stand as we go to the Lord in prayer here. And I'm, I'm praying for a real miracle today. I, I have such a burden. Uh, I have had for the last couple of weeks. I'm excited next year. What year is next year? Well, you leap year. <laughs> That's a good answer. I think leap year is in there. It is in there. I know that for a fact. But next year is what year? 2020. Do you know the address of this property? 2020 40th Avenue. And you know what I'm thinking? Next year, I'm going to have a kind of a theme, 2020. When you think of 2020, what do you think of? Vision, yeah, and I'm praying that you and I will have such clarity of vision to know God's vision for each of our lives individually, for our families, for our church, for our city, and for our nation. How many want to join me and say, I want clarity of vision for my life. I want to know what God wants, not what I think, but what really God wants, and how exciting can that be? I believe God's vision for you is greater than your own vision. How many say, oh, that's interesting, Pastor. Maybe my vision is too small. You know, I just was in Florida with some in-laws, and they live in Sunset Village, and it's all these retirees. And I was there for 15 hours, and I left. I said, that's about as much as I can take. I, you know, I love people that are elderly, but I'll tell you something. I have to be involved where there's life, and there's young people, and there's meaning, and there's purpose. And my prayer is that we're going to all be impacted by God. Isn't that amazing? That God wants to do that in our lives. So let's pray today that God would speak to every heart today. We'd experience his presence today. And let's just pray for, you know, you're praying for yourself to ha hear God's voice. Let's pray for the people around us too. Lord, help each of us to hear the voice of God so that you're speaking to me personally and to the people beside me. Lord, that's our prayer today, that you're going to encounter us in a rich, powerful, dynamic, and exciting way. And I pray that the theme of this message, which is the pursuit of wisdom, will so apprehend our mind and soul that we will become, Lord, people on a mission. People on a mission to know your divine wisdom. People on a mission to have clarity of vision. People on a mission, Lord, that will actually get to know you, the true and the living God, and begin to enter into a, a, a level of dynamic living maybe we've never experienced before because you, Lord, want to reveal yourself to us and then begin to use our lives in ways we could have never fully considered before. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, probably one of the most interesting historical events in Canadian history was the Klondike Gold Rush. How many know that is an interesting time? And actually, it was just on the turn of the, the century, not the 20th, but the beginning of the 1900s. It was in 1896. There were three individuals looking for some lost family members in the Yukon, and they found gold. Now, how many know that people can get so enamored with gold? Does anybody know that? There's actually a thing called gold lust, that once it gets inside of people's heads, they will give up everything to pursue after gold. You know, that's what happened to the 49ers, you know, uh, in San Francisco. People just made a mad dash from all over the world to find gold. It's amazing what people will do to find treasure. And also what was interesting, in this gold rush, it was probably the most orderly and lawful gold rush that was ever, that ever happened because Canada 
at that point was considering creating a national police department called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And so the Mounties came on the map because they're the ones that sent detachments up near Alaska on the border of Alaska and Yukon to make sure that people were not killing each other, people were not starving to death because, you know, when you have that many people move that quickly in an area, you have a food shortage and famine becomes a result of it. And so a number of dynamic things began to happen at that moment. Well, most of the prospectors that landed there uh, you know, the news finally reached the United States in 1897, and within a month, the stampede had happened. I mean, literally, the population in Klondike in 1898 reached 40,000 people. I mean, people just went crazy. They came from all over the world. Most of the prospectors, however, landed at a place called Skagway. Skagway is in the United States. It's, you know, uh, in Alaska. And so a number of people were trying to get to these fields from a variety of different ways, but probably one of the pronounced ways was actually trekking through um, a, a mountain pass. And it's called the Chilkoot Pass. And it took, it was like 33 miles to get from this pass. And about part of the pass was climbing this huge uh, mountain pass. Now, all those little black dots on the mountain pass are people going over that mountain pass. Now, on the top there, there's a, uh, basically there was a detachment of Mounties and they wouldn't let people into Canada unless they could provide food for themselves for an entire year, which was really weighed about, uh, I'm just trying to see here. Okay, about 2,000 pounds. Yeah, 2,000 pounds of good had to be transported over there. So every person had a 50-pound pack. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? And they had to carry these 2,000 pounds in 50-pound increments and go over this, uh, this 33 miles on the trail. When you do that, you know, over and over again, it takes 40 trips. And so these guys literally had to walk 1,320 miles to bring all the food or they wouldn't let him into Canada. Is that an amazing story? Now, how many get a sense that these people must have been really eager to get into Canada to get to the gold fields to walk 1,320 miles carrying 50 pounds, climbing over a ridge like this? How many say that's pretty, that, that gives you a sense of the intensity of the experience, you know? So I'm just showing you a couple of shots here. Now, why I'm saying that is many of these miners or these people trying to reach the gold field actually lost their lives in the process of trying to get there. They were so eager to do this. And when they finally got there, here's the tragedy. When they finally got to the fields, they were totally disappointed because most of the claims were already staked out by the local people in the area. Isn't that sad? So here you are giving everything you've got to achieve a certain goal and when you finally get there, expending all kinds of expenses to get there, you end up disillusioned and disappointed. You end up with nothing. You can say, well, they got experience. Yeah, they got an experience, all right. <laughs> goal fever, that's what it's called. People are willing to sacrifice everything when they get goal fever. Here in the book of Proverbs, we are told that this is the kind of passion that's needed in our pursuit of wisdom. How many here could say, you know, I'm really passionately pursuing God, just like these Klondikers are, going after the goal field? 
you go, that's probably not, I wouldn't probably put my passion level quite at that stage, right? Where I'm willing to do all of that. Well, let's take a look here at Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, he starts out, remember, the, the, the setting, the frame of the book of Proverbs is a father speaking to his son. But we could say, you know, the parents are speaking to their children. It's really God speaking to us as his children. He goes, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, how many are getting a sense now that what God is saying is, you gotta, be, you gotta have a little sincerity. You gotta have a little earnestness here. If you really wanna have wisdom, it's gonna require something of you. How many are hearing that? I'm just reading the text. Proverbs 2, verse 5, he says, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So what God is saying is, you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart. I'm quoting Jeremiah now. If you search for me with all of your heart, you won't be disappointed. God says, you know, like these gold miners, most of them got nothing. God says, no, if you go after me like these gold miners went after gold, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to strike gold. You're going to find the fear of the Lord, which is really, as we read in chapter 10, is the beginning of wisdom. And I'm going to show you wisdom is actually finding God. You're finding God. So, what are the benefits of really knowing God? What are the benefits of earnestly pursuing after God? This is what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going to take a look at three benefits or blessings to those who find wisdom. And I, I want you to know in my own, I'm going to just speak from my own life. You know, when I became a Christian, something happened inside of me. I got so excited about knowing God. And, you know, I just started devouring the Bible. I just started reading it. And then it wasn't enough to just read it. Then I, then I, I, I started taking correspondence, Bible courses. Then I, I decided, you know, I got to do more than that. And then eventually God directed me and I went to Bible college. And I graduated with a Bachelor of Theology's degree and I went into ministry. But, you know, after about five years, I said, you know, I'm still not satisfied. And then I, I started, you know, working on a postgraduate course. I worked on a master's degree. And for nine years while I was pastoring this church, I was working on my master's degree. I, I finished that master's degree. No sooner did I finish that, I said, no, I, I still want to continue to pursue because for me, I love sitting and learning the word of God and I just could not get enough. So then I worked on my doctorate degree and then eventually I graduated from my doctorate degree. That took seven years because I was busy pastoring. And then I took 10 years off when I didn't do that, you know, and and then eventually, Pastor Mark uh, Stevenson, he, he can take the credit for this. He goes, you know, Pastor Paul, you're going to really like Dr. Longman. He comes up once a year and teaches at Ambrose. You should come and take a class with him. And I took one class. And I, I'm like the kid. Like for me, studying the Bible is like going to the candy store if you're a child. You know? How many have ever gone to one of those candy stores, you know, and there's every candy in the world? You know, you're just looking around, you know, and you're just going, wow, look at this. There's all this candy. It's almost overwhelming. There's so much to go after, right? You know, and that's like when people can open up the word of God, and I've, I've had, you know, amazing biblical scholars just sit down and start talking about the Bible and explaining in depth, 
you know, the meaning of the ancient language and what was going on in the background. You know, the whole Bible just starts bursting and coming alive. And I'm just going, this is so exciting, you know. And so I worked on another master's degree. So I've, I've spent literally 20 years working on postgraduate studies while I've been pastoring the church because I've had such a hunger for God. That's my passion. And one of the things that really is driving me is because I want to understand the Bible correctly. Because I hear a lot of funky ideas out there, and I'm going, that's not what the Bible is saying. So I want to get it right. And so I'm, I'm just trying to give you, you know, I'm not talking about something I haven't done myself. I still remember in Bible college, we had somebody come in and preach from the book of Proverbs, talking about above everything, get wisdom. Above everything, give everything away if you have to, so that you can get the knowledge of God and grow in your understanding of who God is. Because when you and I begin to understand who God is and what he requires of us and how we can walk with God and live in this amazing life that he's, you know, revealing before us, our lives are so much healthier, so much richer, so much fuller. Our relationships are more meaningful. Life is more significant. And you know, as I come to, I'm coming, you know, I'm at the other side of the, the quotation of my life. I'm, I'm looking at the older people now around me and I'm seeing how many of them, their lives seem so empty to me. They're pursuing, you know, the wrong stuff. And I'm sitting here, I'm going, I am still passionately excited about getting to know God better. And it's exciting. The Christian life gets more exciting. So this is not something that you just, well, you're going to outgrow this thing. Well, if that's the case, I've been doing this for 44 years, and I'm more excited today than I've ever been. So that's the good news, folks. We should pursue this thing. Well, how do we get into this amazing thing? Well, first of all, we need to understand the fear of God. To get into a right relationship with God requires a right attitude. How many think that's probably true? You know, we have to start with a teachable heart. Step number one, you want to get to know God, have a teachable heart. We have to have an open heart. We have to say, God, I'm here as a learner. The moment you put yourself in that mindset, you're going to grow spiritually. I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm here to experience we must begin by accepting God's word into our lives. People who refuse to listen are revealing their ignorance. I can learn from anyone. I do learn from everyone. You can learn from all kinds of people. You can learn what not to do. You can learn what to do, right? You can say, well, that was a dumb thing. I just watched them do this. Look what is happening in their lives. I don't need to do that. I'm learning from that. I see somebody else make a good decision. I see God's favor and blessing. I can learn from that. We can learn from God's word and from other people. He says here, a wise person listens and has the ability to correctly discern. But first of all, notice what it says. It says here in chapter two, my son, if you accept my words. Number one, I have to be willing to accept it. Number two, I have to store up the commands within me. I have to internalize the word of God. It's not just, you know, I'm reading them. I'm internalizing them. How do you internalize God's word? We need to treasure it. We must internalize those words until they shape our attitudes and our desires and ultimately our motivations, our activities, and our actions. Do you know when you and I are imbibing the word of God, when you're meditating on it, considering it, pondering it, put it into practice, pretty soon... You know, 
you begin to build a new default system in your life. How many here, you honestly can say that when situations come along, you respond in a certain way? Some of you, when you respond, it's usually, I get upset about it. Anybody want to be honest? You know, I get upset. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Keep internalizing the word of God. Eventually, those buttons are going to be taken off, and you're going to start responding. You're going to go, I don't know what happened to me, but usually this bugs me, but it doesn't bug me anymore. You know? Something's going on on the inside. God's changing me. I see the change on the inside. My response to situations are changing. You know, before I used to get upset. Now I have compassion. I, you know, I'm thankful. You know, some people, they walk around in self-pity. Woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Other people, you know, they just walk around going, Lord, thank you for the situation. What are we going to learn? How are you going to come through? What are you going to do in this situation? I mean, it's, you know, everybody has trouble in life. Everybody's going to have challenges. Everybody's going to have problems. But you see, if you have the right attitude, you just go, hey, wow, that's, God, I'm so excited. You know, one person over here grumbling, why is this happening to me? The other person going, God, this is so exciting. What are you going to do in this situation? This is an opportunity for God to do something phenomenal in this situation. And the bigger the challenge, we're going, hey, God, you're going to have to do bigger miracles to get this thing straightened out. How many already can tell two people are looking at the same thing, but they're having a totally different response? How many want to have a positive response rather than a negative response? How many would like to have a thankful response rather than a grumpy, grumbling, pitiful response? You see what I'm getting at? Internalizing the word of God changes how we respond to it. It leads to the formation of a godly life, and it shapes our destiny. This is the part we need to understand. Life is really a composite of the decisions we make and we act upon, and those decisions are based on what we believe. What I'm telling you is the life you live is the life you chose. Whoa, that's heavy, Pastor. But it's the truth. Every day, you and I are making choices. How many say that's true? Anybody argue that point? No, you're making choices all the time. You're making choices based on what you believe. Let me say that's true. This is the way I think. This is the way I believe. I'm making a choice. You know, we can choose to say, okay, this is how I feel. This is what God's word says. And sometimes they're different. How many have had a time in your life where you say how I felt and what God said, totally different things? Anybody have that? My hand straight up. That happens a lot. And you have a choice. You can say, okay, I'm going to act. Most of us in this room are acting on how we feel. That's the truth. We're making decisions based on how we feel. This is how I feel. I feel wounded. I feel offended. I feel hurt. Right? And then we respond out of that. We were responding out of this, you know. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You can say, you know what? Here's somebody hurt me. Let's say somebody really wounded me. Anybody ever been wounded by somebody? Anybody? Come on, you guys. Come on. Anybody been wounded by somebody? Okay, we have a choice. We can walk, oh, I'm so wounded. Oh, I'm so wounded. You know, this person doesn't love me. What's wrong with them? And it's usually the people that are closest to us that wound us. Okay? And now I have a choice. I can say, oh, I can wound them back. I can lash back. I can get even. I can stonewall them. I can, you know, flip my back to them. I'm not going to relate to them. I'm going to do silent treatment. Or I can just make a decision. What does God tell me to do, the people that despitefully use me? Yeah, pray for them, bless them, do good to them, forgive them. Yeah, but I don't feel like doing any of those things, Pastor. (laughs) 
Yeah, but you're letting your feelings define your decision, which defines your actions, which defines the outcome. And so what happens in those relationships are erosion. Rather than just going, okay, that hurt, but I'm gonna make a choice. I've decided that I'm gonna love this person, I'm gonna forgive this person, I'm gonna do good to them, I'm gonna bless them. You know what happens when you do that? A lot of times people come back and they go, you know, I'm so sorry. I was out of line. Please forgive me. That happens so often when you're nice to people. People realize, you know what, I, you know, it's amazing what happens when we just do what the word of God says. You're not convinced, I can see that. Listen, blessed, the word blessed and happy are interchangeable terms. Happy are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. You want to be happy? Do what God says. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to make me happy, Pastor. I don't feel it. You know, I don't feel like forgiving. I guarantee you, try what I'm telling you today. Put this into practice. In the end result, Come back to me in about a month and go, I tried it and I'm happy because I did it. You'll find out. It works. Blessed or happy are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Wow. So what is God saying? He's saying, hey, you got you to go after God. And you know what faith is defined? I love faith. It's defined as this in Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, first of all, you have to believe that God exists. Just settle the question. Hey, listen, there's no better explanation for how we got here in this world and how life operates in an orderly way than there's a God in control of things. God exists, folks. Number two, he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. You know, I can tell how faithful we are if you believe because if you really believe you're going to do what God says, I'm going for it. I'm just going after God with everything within me. And everybody that I see doing it, their lives turn out better than all the people who turn their back on God and do their own thing. And I'm watching. I've been a pastor for 37 years. Can, you know, I, I can say this. I've watched people go with God, and then I've watched people turn their back on God and do their own thing. Because they wanted something more than God. And they, 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 they disobeyed God. And by the way, the moment you put something ahead of God in your life and disobey God, that becomes an idol. And idols are always promising us stuff. They always go, you'll really be happy if you do this. This will really meet your need over here. Can I just tell you, no one is going to meet your need greater than God can. No one. You say, well, my greatest need is what? I want to be loved just for who I am. That's one of our great needs. Can I tell you only God can love you like that? No human being can love you like that. You know, we all have issues in this room. Nobody's going to love you unconditionally with God. If you feel like there's a deficiency of love in your life, you need to get on your knees and say, God, could you start loving me and making your love more real to me so that I can start healing the broken places in my soul? Because it's really hard for me to love my wife or to love my husband and to love my kids and to love these people around me because, you know what, I don't even love myself. And the reason I don't love myself is I, you know, for whatever reason, maybe I just have never experienced love, but can you begin to pour your love into my life and so I can experience your love at a deepest level? And then you know what's going to happen? You're going to feel so loved by God. You're going to have love to give out because when God loves us, there's so much of it. You'll have an overflow of it. You don't have to be stingy anymore. You can actually become generous. 
You see, when you're a person full of faith and believe in God, it frees you up to become another kind of person, to become more like God, to become more un unselfish, more, less self-focused. You know, just think about how small the world of self really is. You know, there's a lot of people living in their little world that's called self. And it's so amazing to be delivered from ourselves. It's so amazing to allow God's love to so meet our needs that we just flow out and be able to bless other people. It's incredible. James reminds us, he says, listen, we need to, you know, did I skip something here? No, I'm just looking at my notes here. Well, let me move on then. The second step is learning to apply God's word in our lives. It says here we have to meditate on God's word day and night. Isn't that great? Verse two, turn your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. For me to apply it, I need to understand it. It's not enough to just hear it. I have to become a doer of it. It says here, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Your statues are my delight. They are my counselors. Isn't that great? You say, I don't know what to do. Go to God's word. God's word will give you counsel. Here's where wisdom comes in. You get insight from God's word. We can ask for insight. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts and then I will meditate on your wonders. Give me an understanding heart, God. You know, when I come to the Bible, I just say, Lord, would you help me to get it? I'm not that bright. You know, help me to understand. Give me understanding here, Lord. James says, don't just listen to the word of God and thereby deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Can I, can I just say there's a big gulf between knowing information and doing information? How many know there's a big gap there? This culture has so much knowledge with little application. We're all experts, but we never do anything. It's really sad, you know. Anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. What does that mean? No value, no profit, you know. Well, I read the Bible, it doesn't do any good. No, did you do the Bible? See, I'm, I'm telling you, the secret is not in reading and, and getting the information. The secret is actually in Applying it, doing it. Yeah, but I don't, I, I don't want to do that, Pastor. I, I, I like what's going on over here. I, I'd rather have my pets sin and just keep doing it. You know, you have to talk to yourself and say, okay, if I keep doing this, it's going to bring death into my life. And if I just forsake it and ask God's grace to help me to forsake it and embrace what God's telling me to do, I'm going to have life. But a man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Listen, it gives freedom. How many here would like to be free? Anybody here want to be free from all addiction? Anybody want to be free from all hangups, from all hurts? I'm in CR right now. I was there Tuesday night. I had a lot of fun with those guys. This is what it's about. That's what he's talking about. Brings freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. He'll be happy in what he does. You know, I have to be honest. Before I was a Christian, I had no interest in church. I had no interest in the Bible. I had no interest in doing the right thing. I become a Christian, I have a total interest in church, a total interest in the Bible, and a total interest in doing the right thing. That's why I know that when you get regenerated, it changes your desire. It changes your desire. Let's say you're saying, well, I don't have a desire for God. Then you need to get on your knees and say, God, change me. I need an encounter with you. I need my desires to be changed. 
See, it has to be that fundamental. We must be diligent in our pursuit of wisdom. It says here, if you cry out for understanding, cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I'm just reading chapters two, two down to verse six. James says this to us in chapter one, verse five. If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. You know what God does? You and I could say, God, can you give me this? God doesn't go, well, you don't deserve it. Hey, listen, if God was to give us things based on if we deserved it or not, none of us would get anything. Okay? You say, don't, don't come up to God and go, well, I, I don't deserve this, God, so I'm not going to ask you for it. Can I just tell you right now, none of us deserve anything God wants to give us, so scrap that argument. I just come to God and say, you know what? I'm needy, and you're a God of grace. I'm just going to come to you and ask. God goes, good, that's what I want. That's faith. That's what makes God get excited. He knows we're broken. He knows we're needy. He knows that we need what we're asking for. He's going to give it to us. He's going to give us this grace. The benefit of wisdom is victory and protection. Verse 7 and 8. He holds victory in store for the upright. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless. He holds victory in store for the upright. How many like that? How many want to live in victory? I want to live in joy. I want to live in victory. I want God's protection in my life. People who receive God's wisdom enjoy a victorious life and are protected against the follies of sin. I love, I, I wrote that. I like it. It's true. <laughs> Second blessing, we'll understand the right path. I've already talked about this, but let me just reiterate it. Life is about making the right choices. How many say that's true? You got to make, every day, we're making choices. It's about making the right decisions. And I say the result of our life are based on the choices we've made. You know, can I just say something that everyone needs to hear this in this room. I get, I get tired when people go, I married the wrong person. No, you didn't. You married the right person. And what God wants you to do is work on that relationship. I'm tempted to preach. I, I did a wedding yesterday. That's why the steps are here. And I probably preached my best wedding sermon yesterday. And then people said to me, they were here. They said, Pastor, that was good. I said, I'm, t I'm, I'm tempted to preach it in the church. It's so radical. Isn't we like radical sermons that really change the way you relate to each other? How many want to see healthy marriages? See, I think that's good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we want to see that. See, I've been married almost 41 years. And I'm going to tell you something. Patty's the right person for me. Now, that doesn't mean we've never hurt each other. That's happened. That's going to happen. You cannot have a relationship with another human being that close and not hurt each other. It's just going to happen. But you know what? When you start to respect and value and love and encourage each other and stop becoming your each other's worst enemy and help cheerlead each other on. It's amazing. You can actually deepen in your love. My love for my wife has deepened over the years. Because you see, when we first get married, we're enamored with each other. You know, we're attracted maybe to each other physically, socially, emotionally. But you know what? As you get older, it has to deepen, folks. 
You, ha- you don't really love a person until you know all of their hang-ups and problems and you know they're never going to change and you love them anyways. That's, that's mature love. It's getting really quiet in here. <laughs> See, we're all waiting for the other person to change. It probably won't happen. <clears throat> Do you know what we discover when we walk with God is that we're walking on the same path that all the godly have ever walked. Can I just show you something? You and I are actually following in the footprints of Jesus. And you think about it. Jesus got baptized. We get baptized, right? Jesus got directed by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? To be tested. He was tested. You know, when you're a brand new Christian, you go, I'm so in love with Jesus. Everything is so amazing. He's so good. He answers all my prayers. And all of a sudden, you go, where did God go? Anybody relate to this? You know why? Because after you get baptized, God goes, okay, we're going to be tested. Because untested love and untested faith are really superficial. So the only way to deepen it is by having it tested. It strengthens it. You see, we think it's tearing us apart. You know, Dennis, he's a a trainer. When you're doing weightlifting, Dennis, aren't we kind of tearing our muscles? Isn't that what's going on? But that's why are we doing that, Dennis? To strengthen our muscles. Dennis, I'm still working out. Just want you to know that. (laughs) He's a great trainer. Love Dennis. Okay, so what am I saying? We're not alone. We're on the same path. Jesus walked the path before us. We we walked the path to Jordan. Then we're baptized. We walked the place where our Father in heaven affirms us. Can I just tell you right now, if you've never felt loved and affirmed, I want you to hear this. God loves you with an everlasting love. You are his kid. And maybe you didn't get affirmation from your mom and dad, your earthly mom and dad, but I want you to hear today, Your Father in heaven loves you. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're amazing to him. You're his joy. How many here are parents? You know, I look at my kids and grandkids, I just go, they're my delight. They're my joy. I I, I feel like I just want to squeeze them and bless them. I want every good thing to happen to them and for them, right? Now, where am I getting this feeling from? It's from God. That's how he feels towards you. He's for you guys. He's not against you. He's for you. Some of you go, okay, whatever. You know, you know. sometimes there's, there's, there's places and moments in our lives where we see God's favor. There's moments and times in our lives where there's opposition. Sometimes they're happening at the same time. There's moments of joy. There's moments of sorrow. There's moments when we're betrayed and left alone like Christ in the garden. There are times when we feel like we're being crucified and rejected and persecuted. There's times when we feel like God's renewing and resurrecting our lives. Man, we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There are moments after we have failed like Peter that God restores and renews renews our lives and recommissions us because God gives us more than one chance. He knows he's the God of the second chance. I am so glad for that. He does not write us off. Yeah, but I failed more than twice, pastor. So what? The righteous get back up. They might stumble seven times, but you know you're a righteous person when you just keep getting back up and going, I may be stupid, but I'm going to keep going with God. Verse 9, then you will understand what is right and just and fair and every good path. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. It's a good path. Paul Koptek says, a path is in itself a symbol of community because in walking a path, one walks where others have and will continue to walk. The important issue is the companions one chooses, and this comes up again in chapter 2, verse 20. You will walk in the ways of 
of good men or the ways of the good. You know, if I could just talk to every young person, if I could talk to every person, I'd say, be careful who you choose to walk life with. Choose wisely. Choose godly people. Walk beside those people. They'll help you. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes, you know, godly people might say, hey, that's what you're doing there is not right. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, you should say, thank you for telling me that. I need to hear that. You know, my wife sometimes says, hey, what are you doing? Straightens me right out, you know? And you know what the, you know what the temptation is? Please don't tell me this. I don't want to hear that, right? But thank God for a godly wife that says, hey, smart enough, you know? See, we're all threatened by that stuff. We don't want to be corrected. I get corrected all the time. I get corrected by congregants. I get corrected by all kinds of people. And you know, sometimes God's voice is coming through them. I need to hear those voices. You know what? If we hear the word of God, it's, it actually does a lot of self-correcting. Every day, get up, read the Bible. God will correct you. From the ways of wicked people. Okay, from the ways of wicked people, it says, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. What is he saying? Wisdom will deliver you from evil. Do you know, just like God uses people, Satan uses people. How many know that? And a lot of times people don't even know they're being used of the devil. Listen, you're either being used of God or you're being used of the devil. You know, that's the way it works. You know, you're either leading people towards God or away from God. You know, this wisdom is actually, <clears throat> it's not a nebulous idea. Wisdom, I, I talked a couple weeks ago about being a skill, but actually it's a person. You know, listen to what Paul says. Uh, well, let me get to, in 1 Corinthians it says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Jesus is actually our wisdom. So wisdom is actually bringing us to God. It's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so wise. It's because God is wise. Proverbs here is revealing to us who the wicked are. First of all, he begins by describing their speech. Their words are perverse. What they have to say about God is a distortion. Therefore, most of what they say is a justification for living on a wrong path. You know, I've seen a lot of people turn away from God and then justify it. It's true. I see it over and over again. I go, well, all you're doing is, again, affirming what the word of God teaches and states that they have left the straight path. In other words, they have some idea of what is right, but they prefer to live in darkness. They actually enjoy sin. You know what? Sin is enjoyable for a season. And then afterwards, once it's captured you, then you're in trouble. See, the wages of sin is death. It always has been, always will be. We need to know that. For although they knew God, it says, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were dark. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You know, it's, it's not by accident that this is a promiscuous culture. That's because we've turned our backs on God. It's not that sex is wrong, but God has it in a specific place. But our culture is, is abusing it. Notice that evil is actually spelt backwards. No, in other words, notice that evil 
is live spelt backwards. In other words, evil is the opposite of life. Evil brings death. What is our culture celebrating to death? Death. This is a death-celebrating culture. And I'm for life because God's for life. It's the opposite of what really living is all about. Wisdom will also save us from the seductive woman. I could say the seductive man, too. It doesn't matter, okay? We must remember this is the father's words to his son. It says, verse 16, it will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Why is this so critical? Because this person is someone who's abandoned God and will lead its victims to destruction. Verse 18, for her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Listen to what Dr. Longman writes. He says, her primary strategy for seducing the man is through her flattering speech and then secondarily through physical attraction. Do you know, most people that are caught up in adultery, it's not because they were attracted to the person initially physically, they're attracted to their words. Very interesting. Be weary of flattery, my friends. She says what she knows he wants to hear. The tragedy is that she talks a good talk, but her own life is a mess. She's not committed to relationships. Here she's described as leaving her marriage because she uses people. She's unfaithful, and the end result of being seduced by the unfaithful is that it always leads to unfaithfulness and the wrong path. It's a path that leads to destruction, and a lot of people have chosen it. I wrote down, she's a homewrecker. She doesn't care about what she's about to destroy is another family. However, what we're learning is that biblical wisdom preserves from these pitfalls. Biblical wisdom is really a healthy desire to please God above everything and everyone else, and that's what it means to fear God. And probably, I'm gonna close with this because my time is running out, but I'm just gonna say this. My greatest concern right now in our generation, and I'm going to speak to the church now, not to the culture, is that we've lost the fear of God. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? The fear of God teaches me that I put him above everybody else. The fear of God says that his word is more precious to me in obeying it than life itself. And that I choose to do what God wants me to do in spite of how I feel. And I'm gonna just make this declaration. There have been moments that my feelings have been in conflict with God's word. I'm gonna be right up front about that. And somewhere down the road, I had to take captive my own thoughts and my own emotions and make them obedient to the word of God. And you know, I'm gonna say this. When you do that, later on, you'll look back in life and you'll say, I'm so thankful I did that. Because if I hadn't, it would have destroyed my life and a whole bunch of other people. I'm just telling you the way it is. Let's stand this morning. <clears throat> How many get a sense that there's a little bit of uh, passion in the wisdom literature? Does anybody get a sense that God expects us to actually go after him in a very significant way? How many get a sense of that? How many get a sense of that? That God wants us to become very passionate followers of Christ. And that, that this actually translate into actually internalizing his word, which necessitates, or it means, that I'm in his word. See, you want to be successful in life? Get into the word of God. You want to succeed in life? Begin to do the word of God. Regardless of how you feel. With every head bowed right now, I know there's some of you right now, you're battling things.
you know what I find a lot of Christians are doing? They're we do the wrong thing and then we try to twist the scriptures to justify the wrong thing we've done. It never works. You're just fooling yourself. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm going to tell you right now. Some of you right now, you're struggling emotionally. You're battling emotionally. God's speaking to you. He says, I want you to forgive this person. You need to do that. Yeah, but they don't deserve it. They've been a jerk. She's been a jerk. They've wounded me. I'm saying, yeah, I know. Not one person in this room can walk away and say, I've never been wounded. Every day I get up, I say the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I need to be a forgiving person. God forgave me. Did I deserve it? No. Does this person deserve it? No. But you know what? I'm not going to forgive them because they deserve it. I'm going to forgive them because out of reverence for Christ, I'm doing what he's asking me to do, even though I don't feel like it. And I'm going to do the right thing, even though I don't feel like it, because it's going to bring ultimate blessing into my soul and into relationships. And you're here right now. You've been battling emotional things right now. And you've been struggling with God's word and obeying God's word and applying God's word. And you're just doing your thing right now and you're justifying it. Right now, you just want to say, okay, God, the game is over. We're not going to play this anymore. I'm going to pursue the path of wisdom. I'm just going to go after him and I just put you above everything else. And that's where you're at right now. You're going to make this choice. Now you're just going to start doing what God says. I guarantee you, it may be difficult initially, but ultimately... It's going to get easier and easier and easier. And there's going to become a peace and a joy and a hope and a delight and victory and protection. It's going to start flooding into your life. You're going to start making the right kind of decisions that's going to make you a successful person in this life. And that's you right now. You're at this crossroads right now. I believe God's brought you here for this reason. I want you just to raise your hand right now. You're at a crossroads right now. Emotionally, you're at a crossroads. Okay, raise your hands. That's good number of you, quite a few of you now have raised your hands. This is very important. I'm going to pray for you right now. You are going to decide today, I am going to do the right thing regardless of how I feel. I want you to tell your mind that right now. I am going to do the right thing regardless of how I feel. You're telling yourself that right now. You say, God, by your grace, God, by your strength, I am going to do the right thing. I am going to follow your ways. I'm going to walk in the path of wisdom. I'm going to take the narrower road. It's not going to look easy right now. It looks like a great hill to climb, but I know one thing. I'm going to pursue wisdom. And when I get over that mountain range that we saw in the picture, I'm not going to be disappointed by it. There's no goal for me. I'm actually going to strike the richest goal possible. I'm going to strike the will of my Father. I'm going to strike this amazing relationship with God. I'm going to enter into God's joy and blessing in my life because that's what he wants for me. I'm not going to settle for anything less than what God wants for my life. And so, Father, right now, so many are saying, this is where I'm at. Lord, I pray that your grace would go out to them. I'm not here to judge them. I've been there. I've struggled. I know about this. And yet, Lord, when we choose to go the right way, blessings begin to flow into our lives. I pray for amazing strength today. I pray for amazing grace. I pray that you would so encourage their hearts. I pray that they would understand that to pursue wisdom is the right path. 
It is a narrower path, but it is the right path. And they're choosing the right path today that's going to ensure them an amazing future. And I'm in agreement with them right now, Father. I pray that you're going to pour your divine love into their hearts. You're going to reveal your grace to them in Jesus' mighty name. And I pray for the rest of us that you're going to keep us on this path. You're going to help us have a greater resolve. We're going to pursue you with more fervor than ever before. Lord, give us that kind of passion for you. Help us to begin to understand we need to seek you like we've never sought you before. We're just going to go for it. And we're going to see an amazing transformation in our own heart, in our life, in our marriages, in our family, in our workplace, in our city, in our nation. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.